Friends, it's a delight to be here to lead us in another round of thinking about the creed. Um, so for the context, for those of you who are, are, are not been looking or not been here before or whatever, um, we are taking ourselves through what they call the Nicene Creed, which is a creed that was um, first proposed at the Council of Nicaea in three something, 325 AD. Um, and um, it was... It was partly a response to the emperor becoming a Christian uh, and going, well, hey, okay, so I'm empire over this massive area, and yet it feels like there's a kind of slightly different, different faith across the area. Uh, we need one statement of faith that they reckon that everybody can sign up to. Um, and so after two or three goes, um, I think it didn't get approved for another 100... And, uh, this form was another 140 years or so coming. But... Um, that's the statement of faith that we're looking at, that we're going to say together later on in the service, uh, that so far has been about history. Um, it, this, the creed itself splits into three parts, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the stuff about Jesus so far has been about um, Jesus lived on earth, he um, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and got Virgin Mary, that he was crucified, died, third day rose again, and uh, according to the scriptures, he ascended into heaven seated at the right hand of the Father. We looked at that uh, a little bit back. And then today, we begin looking a bit more to the future because we're looking at these verses, these, this, these three phrases from the creed. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So this is about what's going to happen, whereas up to now, we've been looking at what has happened. So uh, we're much more in the realm of uh, perhaps speculation, of slight uncertainty, of uh, yet of everybody who was um, around back then and for, for the last um, intervening centuries have all been able to sign up to and say this creed with confidence as a, f as a summary of our faith. So we're gonna look at those three phrases. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. And as you might imagine, the first two sort of run together a bit more than the third one. Uh, and we have, as it were, hints, um, foretaste of what's going to happen uh, from something like uh, Matthew's Gospel, which we just had read to us, um, where Jesus says the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. So if you're not careful, this begins to feel a bit like a works-based righteousness. If you've done enough, you get to heaven. But actually, it's not. Bear with me and bear with the, the kind of question. Because actually what they have done, we'll see, is really about, is your name in the book of life or not? Have you accepted that Jesus is Lord and Saviour and ask for his forgiveness, ask for adoption into the family, however you want to phrase it, or not. That's what the, the done bit is in this, according to what they've done, whether or not they acknowledge Jesus is, is the saviour. And um, Jesus comes back to this, for example, a bit later on, another eight chapters further on, um, we have another sort of attempt to think about what's going to happen in the future. Uh, let me read you from verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
That's the bit about coming in glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the others, to the other. So the elect is a, a phrase we need to come back to and think about that. But notice for now that sense that when Jesus returns, everybody will notice. He's not going to come back, you know, in a quiet way. It's going to be that all the peoples of the earth will notice and will mourn, it says here, um, and Jesus will come with great power and glory. So I think we can say with certainty it hasn't happened yet. Yes, we live in that in-between time of Jesus being on earth, resurrected, then going back to heaven at ascension, Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, and we live in this time when we are waiting for this to happen, for this coming of the Son of Man, of Jesus, on the clouds of heaven, whatever that means. And at that point, his angels will gather the elect, that is... Let's just take that for now as as code for those that acknowledge Jesus as saviour. From mm, the four winds, from the um, one end of the heavens to the other. So it's not just about those that are still alive on earth, but actually wherever they are, the saints in the sense of the followers of Jesus over the years will be gathered together. That'll be quite a gathering, won't it? Imagine rubbing shoulders with... Charles Wesley, with Paul, with Peter. May have to tap one of them on the shoulder and say, hey, did you really write Hebrews? Or even say, which one of you wrote Hebrews then? Um, Or whatever it might be. But anyway, there's a gathering that's coming. And um, actually, this is really quite important because if we don't believe that Jesus is coming back again, then we have to go, well how will this world end? We need to find some other theory about how the end of the world will happen. Because clearly as we are, we live in a time where we, we, we recognise that we ask, we pray for, remember the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But we look for the day when earth and heaven will be combined. When um, you get lots of uh, vision in, in Revelation of um, the new heaven, the new earth, the new city of Jerusalem, uh, where God will be the one that provides the, the light because his glory will emanate everywhere. And it's a tremendous vision of the future and actually is a huge relief because it means that eventually this world is not all that we live for although that doesn't stop us caring for this world while we're here. Um, But that's a different um, sort of thing, really. So let's go back to... lost it. Can you move us on, Kieran? I don't know what I've done to my thing. Um, Let's go back to our... um, to the creed we said he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end so we've kind of covered that stuff about he's going to come again and he's going to come again in glory because Jesus said he would and um, judging the living and the dead then becomes the the action the thing that will happen when Jesus comes again in glory so um uh, to Timothy 4 um, 
just in passing, really, he says this, you know, uh, this is Paul writing to his, his um, sort of his young Padawan, uh, Timothy, you know, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? I, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. It's almost incidental, but it's important because it underlines why we do what we do, why we bother to tell out the good news that Jesus is the Son of God, why we bother to challenge people to respond to God's amazing love because we know that in the future there will be a judgment day there will be a separation if there isn't a judgment there can't be a separation and um, by the way Paul if you want to know what the charge is it's actually a really challenging charge even for Paul for Timothy but also for us so Paul goes on, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season after season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. How many of us could be doing that? Um, then you've got a slight kind of excursus from Paul. The time will come when people not put up with sound doctrine, indeed to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to say. And many commentators would suggest that this time has come that people bend God's word to their own desires. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, but you, each of us actually, keep your head in all situations. That's not just don't get it chopped off. It means just don't go in a flap. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Even if you don't feel called to be an evangelist, do the work of. Tell out the good news, however hard it is. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy was a young leader in the church. Let's come back to our main topic. Um, we were talking about Jesus coming to judge there, the living and the dead. Um, now, Revelation, as we've had read to us, uh, and this is the passage we had read, is hugely important in this thinking about how will it happen in the future. Revelation, as you know, is the last book in the New Testament. It's the book that looks to the future. Um, lots of it is couched in um, quite flowery language that we find difficult to follow, let's be fair. And yet some of it feels really quite straight and easy to follow. So this is uh, what we have had read to us this morning. Um, um, this is John's vision, John who wrote Revelation, his vision of what's going to happen in the future. So John saw, verse 12, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Another book was opened, the book of life. Dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Sea gave up their dead, the death and Hades gave up their dead, and that were in them, and each person was judged. But anyone, verse 15, whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Ouch. We'll come back to that. There is some supplementary challenges in all this, which isn't, which are not, are, are not responded to in the creed. So, for example, how does it work that death and Hades and the sea? hold dead people what's it like between dying now and judgment then we haven't got a clue but it's just worth being aware that there are some mysteries to this and um, that's one of them to my mind 
And then, so, it's, so Jesus is clearly going to come and judge the living and the dead. We have a, a sense that after that, um, both from what we get in the Gospels and also what we get in Revelation again, um, that actually God's kingdom will never end. Um, this is um, from the angel to Mary when Mary was about to be pregnant with Jesus way back at the beginning of, of, of the Gospels, of Luke's Gospel at this point. Um, and, and, and the angel says that he, Jesus, will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And notice it's a du- double thing, double positive. Forever and his kingdom will never end. Um, so there's that sense of this is a, a, an equivalent of Jesus' is truly, truly, I say unto you. Uh, that actually there's an emphasis here and we can take that as absolute certainty that Jesus' kingdom will never end and he will reign over it. So, going back to Revelation for a minute, where we ended our passage just now, the next verse to that is, is a passage that we often get actually at funerals. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, for the first heaven and earth had passed away uh, there was no longer any sea holy city Jerusalem you, you'll be familiar with this passage I guess particularly from funerals um, and notice that actually this is some of where we understand something of what heaven is like he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there'll be no more death or crying or mourning or pain for the old order of things has passed away and remember that we pray your kingdom Come now on earth. That's the kind of things we're asking for. That there would be a situation where there's no more death, mourning, crying or pain in our lives, in the lives of those around us when we pray that kind of prayer. But that chapter ends where chapter 20 ends, like this. Nothing impure will enter it, that is the new holy city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There has to be that question then, even though we're looking at just those three verses, uh, phrases from the Creed, how do we get into the Lamb's book of life? The answer is you can't because your names have been written since before the creation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. Let's say that again. You can't say, I want my name in the book of life, please, because of these kind of verses. Names have not, uh, whose names have not been written from the creation of the world in the book of life. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. This is about the beast of Babylon. If you want to have a little bit of an of a exciting tale before you go to bed, then just read, read that middle section of, of Revelation. It, it's hard... But it's worth remembering that this means that 
whether or not our names are in the book of life is not in any sense a reflection of what we have done or indeed how we are. This is something that God pre-decided. He pre, because he stands out of time, he pre-knew those who were going to choose to follow, <coughs> to accept, to acknowledge Jesus as the saviour. And so their names are already in the book of life. Now that just blows my mind. How does God already know what we're going to do when we've got free choice? And, and those kind of things, is it only apparent free choice? And those kind of things just sometimes keep me awake at night and sometimes I just have to go, it's a mystery. I don't really get it. But I do get it that actually it's God's choice about those who end up in heaven. But actually there's a sense in which it's our choice because God knew in advance those that were going to say yes. Yes to God's love. Yes to God's um, offer of salvation yes to God's forgiveness and fresh start with him and it is to my mind a mystery and yet in the midst of that mystery we're called to rejoice notice how Jesus when he sent out the 72 and they came back again this is how we responded to them they came back saying Lord it's amazing even the demons submit to us in your name uh, and, and Jesus replied, yeah, 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 I saw Satan falling like, like lightning from heaven. And, but um, um, rejoice, actually, rather, that your names are written in heaven. Which I think is code for in the book of life in heaven, that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. Rejoice. Rejoice not that Satan falls, but that our names are written in heaven. Because actually, because of that, we have hope, we have meaning and purpose, both for this life and beyond. It's because of that that it makes any sense of this crazy, mixed-up world. Now, there's a lot of discussion out there about how does it work then if people seem to come to faith and then they kind of fall away from faith? How does that work? Um, is it just that, that, that it's not possible if you're truly elect? Is it that actually they were pretending? Is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? But um, wise words from John Piper um, who suggests, um, and bear with me if you're losing it at this point, being in the book, that is the Lamb's Book of Life, Having a name in the book keeps you from doing what would get you erased from the book if you did it, like worshipping the beast. That's not a contradiction any more than the way that Paul is a contradiction when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Philippians 2 is quite a challenge, isn't it? Because it's both, we are called to work out our salvation, but it's God who works in us. So it's both and in a sense. But what he's trying to say is that if we know that our names are in the book of life, we're not going to do something so stupid as to, to, as to walk away effectively. Um, it goes on, it's not nonsense to state the condition if you conquer, God will not erase your name. But then to state the assurance if your name is in the book, you will conquer not a contradiction God's written down ones really must conquer really will conquer they must and they will 
One side highlights responsibility, you must. On the other side highlights God's sovereignty, you will. And with that, let's move on. Um, it, It is quite a challenge as to how we live our lives. How do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? But knowing that it's God who works in us. Do we just let go and let God? I don't think so. We're called to be people who fill our minds with the things of God. Who choose to train ourselves, like we're athletes, to train ourselves for the, the, the race that is getting to heaven. And at the same time, Ephesians has it like this. Praise be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. I wonder where Paul gets that from. Um, To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he's predestined us for adoption to sonship. Um, I remember it's sons in in first century thinking that get any sense of um, uh, inheritance. Um, he predestines for sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given to us in the one he loves and all this drives from that question of how do we really say that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end actually The calling to us all is, will you be part of his kingdom? And if you are part of his kingdom, how are you doing at living out now in the light of eternity to come? How are you doing at the forgiveness that gives us hope for the future? Are you showing that forgiveness to others around you, that same forgiveness? For we live in the light of this reality, that God will come again, that Jesus will come again that he will separate those whose names are in the book of life from those who aren't. And yes, what we read in the Bible is hard to take in. But that separation means that there will only be some now that will go to heaven, that will spend eternity with God in heaven. So will you be found counted with those whose names are in the book of life? I think so. But will you help others to discover that too? Just about got time to show you a video. Uh, It's only three minutes long, but I think it helps summarise where we've come to today. Thank you to Kieran. What do you make of Jesus? He spoke as the King of Heaven, but served like the lowest slave. He claimed to be the hope of the world, yet gave up his life on the cross. Have you ever wondered how Jesus saw the big issues, God, the world, and you? Here's life according to Jesus in 3, 2, 1. 3. God is a loving union of three. I don't know how you picture God, but according to the Bible, Jesus is our picture of God. He's called the image of God, the word of God, the exact representation of God. To know God, we should look at him. And what do we see? A loving union of three. Here's one picture of it from Matthew chapter 3. 
Jesus was standing one day in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit hovered over him like a dove, and the Father called from heaven, You are my Son who I love, with you I am well pleased. According to the Bible, this family of love predated and produced the world. And there's good news. The Son of God has come to invite us in. 2. The world is shaped by two representatives. The Bible begins with the story of Adam. Adam is a name that means humanity. He's a representative. In the beginning, he turned from God, turned in on himself, and plunged the world down into death and curse. This is the life we know, the life of selfishness and death. Jesus, though, is the second Adam. Where Adam and all of us fail, the Son of God took charge. He lived the life that we should live, Then on the cross, he died the death that we should die. On Easter Sunday, he rose again to new life. And this life is ours if we are one with him. One. You are one with Adam. Be one with Jesus. We're all a part of the selfishness of Adam, and we all feel the curse of his broken world. But Jesus offers us new life. If we trust in Jesus, we become one with Him. We can give Him our selfishness and sin, and He deals with it on the cross. In return, He gives us Himself forever. Connected to Him, we enter the family of God, and now, together, we can know His Father as our Father, His Spirit as our Spirit, and His future as our future. You see, Jesus will come again to raise up this world the way He was raised, to eternal life and peace. On that day, God will judge the world, confirming his no to Adam and his yes to Jesus. That's life according to Jesus. What's our response? Right now, the Son of God offers you life, hope, forgiveness, and eternal love in the family of God. Call out to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you, Martin. So let us stand together and declare our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God,